Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week we began our mini-series called Live Well. We're in our series Summer at OSC. And we began talking about something that the Bible calls chukmah. Chukmah, that, that word chukmah is translated wisdom. Now, when you talk about wisdom, wisdom can often be misconstrued as knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are two totally different things. The difference between wisdom and knowledge is the difference between knowing how to do something and not doing it. Now, I want to give you this term chukmah in in the Old Testament when they would use this word. Not only was it describing wisdom, but it was also talking about a person who had chukmah. And it was a person who was skilled, a skilled laborer, someone who knew how to do something and they did that thing for a living. Another way of saying that is chukmah or wisdom is not just knowledge, but it's knowledge applied to your life. And I want to add something even to that. Wisdom is not just applied knowledge to your life. Wisdom is not easy. Having wisdom and doing the wise thing is not always the easy thing to do, but it is simple. I'm going to say that again. Wisdom is not easy, but it is simple. So we're going to continue looking at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, written by King Solomon, gives us some very deeply spiritual wisdom, but it also gives us some very practical wisdom. And the reason that is is because God has something to say about every one of every area of our life. God wants to speak not only to the deep church things that we think he wants to speak to, but God wants to speak to our everyday normal life. And we've, we've themed this, this season or this series that we're doing, Living Well, because God wants us to live well. If every area of our life belongs to him, he wants us to live every area of our lives well. So I want to dive right in. We began last week giving some very practical um, steps, some very practical sayings and, and wisdom statements, if you will, to help us live well. I want to dive right back into those, giving those practical steps. Number one, know what season you are in. Know what season you are in. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5 says this. It says, a wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. I'm going to say that again. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during the harvest is a disgrace. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice it doesn't say that a wise youth harvests, but one who sleeps is a disgrace. It doesn't just say that. It gives us more information than that. It says a wise youth harvest in the summer. And the, dis, the disgrace, the one who's a disgrace is one not only who sleeps, but one who sleeps during the time of the harvest. Simply put, you're a disgrace. This is what this scripture is saying. The disgraceful young man was the young man who did not work when it was time to work. And the wise young man was the young man who worked during the time of the harvest. See, there's a time to grind it out 
and then there's a time to rest. There's a time for us to, to pursue working hard and going after it, and then there's a time for us, if we're wise, to find the right pattern of rest. I believe God wants us to have a rhythm in life. I believe that's the way he's created things. As a matter of fact, we talked about this last week, and we said that, that God created the world with within this system of wisdom, when the Proverbs literally says, as God was creating the world, that, prover- that wisdom was with him. And what that means is wisdom was embedded and interwoven into everything that God created. So there's systems in which God has created the world. And he tells us this in the book of Genesis, that as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest Meaning as long as the earth is here, there will be sowing and there will be reaping. There's a time for us to do both. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us there's a time for us to do everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says it this way. It says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time for you to work hard. There's a time for you to grind it out. But there is also a time for you to take a step back and rest. When it's time to work, it's time to work. And when, we're, when it's time for us to work, we should not only work, but we should work hard. As Christians, we should be the best employees at our jobs. We should be the, the most favored people at our job because we show up on time. We show up early. We work hard while we're there. We're not milking the clock. We are doing our jobs. Why? Because we recognize we're not only doing them for a paycheck and we're not doing them to please the boss. We are doing our jobs because we want to please God. We want to honor God with our lives. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 through 24, it says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. See, our jobs, when we do our job, we don't just do it to get paid and we don't just do it so that people like us. We do our jobs because even our job is, is a representation of our love for God. We do our jobs with diligence and we, do our, we work our jobs hard and we honor well at our jobs. Why? Because we're doing this as unto the Lord. We're doing this for God. I can just hear some of you right now, Pastor, you, you don't get it. See, I don't like my boss. And what I would say to that is you misunderstand who your boss really is. Because your boss is not that person that signs your paycheck. You are working as unto the Lord. You are working for God and it's God who promotes. That's something for us to remember. God is the one who gives promotion. God is the one who sees you doing the the things that no one else sees you doing at your job. God is the one who sees your motivation in your heart for doing why you do what you do at your job. God sees that and if you're doing it for him, then God is the one who's ultimately going to give you the promotions or the blessings or the favor. And God will literally move you out of a position with the seeds you've planted in that season and let you reap in the the next season because God refuses to let the seeds that you've planted in the ground go without a harvest, go without you reaping from that. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. 
So when it's time to work, work hard. But then there's some of us who are on the other extreme. And the other extreme of that is this. You don't stop working hard. You are always working hard. You are never turning it off and allowing yourself to rest. See, that's a, a balance that's an imbalance, rather, in the day and time that we live in. Some, some people don't want to do anything, but then there's other people who cannot turn it off. And when you find someone who cannot rest, they do, know not, they do not know how to rest, you can find someone who has a problem. There's a reason why they can't rest. There's something there that keeps them from allowing themselves to turn it off, whether it's fear, anxiety, not wanting to deal with their own personal life so they keep working. All of those things can play into that, but simply put, you need to rest. God gives us rest. God modeled rest. God commanded rest. I don't know if you know this, but biblically speaking, God told us, God told us to let the ground rest in the seventh year. God literally taught us in the Old Testament, work the, work the ground for six years and in the seventh year, let the ground rest. The Bible tells us that. God commanded us in the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? It's the rest of God. God modeled this for us when he created the earth. He worked six days, created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, what did he do? The Bible says that he rested. He modeled that for us. Well, pastor, isn't the Sabbath like the day we're supposed to worship and we're supposed to do all of those things? Yes, that's true. We should be worshiping God every day, really. But God teaches us that. Jesus comes along, excuse me, and he teaches us that you were not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you. The Sabbath was created for you to rest. That's a rhythm and a cycle and a pattern that God wants us to have. So let me ask you that question. Do you rest well? Do you take time out of your week to just shut off and be refreshed? Because if Jesus needed it, you need it. If God did it, you should do it. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the, deeply, the, mo the most deep spiritual thing that you can do when you're being a jerk to your wife and you're being a jerk to your kids and nobody wants to be around you, you don't need to fast. You don't need to, you don't need to go read a, a, a devotional guide. You need to take a nap. You need to sleep. You need to rest because God's created us that way. Number two, the next thing, the next is practical proverb wisdom that 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 we can learn from this book of Proverbs. This one's a big one, so don't miss this. Receive instruction and correction. Receive instruction and correction. Proverbs chapter 10, verse eight says this. It says, the wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. I did a series years ago here at the church called How Not to Be Stupid. And that whole series was, was based primarily on this principle of receiving an instruction, receiving, excuse me, instruction and correction. See, in life, you learn wisdom one of two ways. You either learn from the wisdom that other people share with you and you catch it, you get it, you, you apply it to your life, or you learn wisdom from the consequences of your actions when you did not listen to what other people said, when you did not listen to the wisdom that others had to share with you. C. 
See, that's how you learn. You learn wisdom one of those two ways. And it's always better to learn wisdom from hearing it from other people's experiences rather than having to learn it from the consequences of your own actions. See, in here in Acadiana, we call people like that Tedor. Tedor means hard head. When you're hard headed, sometimes you have to learn from your own consequences. But it's always better to learn from the wisdom of others. And I want you to see something and know something really about, about Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Throughout the book of Proverbs, he is constantly talking about listening to other people, receiving wisdom. He talks about learning from his dad. He talks about the wisdom of his mother. He talks about this learning, being open to receive correction and instruction. So we see this man, literally the wisest man who has ever lived. The Bible tells us he was the wisest man to ever live. The only exception to that rule would be Jesus Christ, who was 100% God and 100% man. That's it. He was the wisest man to ever live. And throughout his book, talking about how to live well, one of the things that he's constantly talking about is the ability that we have to learn from the wisdom of other people, to humble ourselves and receive instruction and to receive correction. See, this is what Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17 says. It says, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. But those who ignore correction will go astray. Let's keep going. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Don't miss this one. To learn, you must love discipline. To learn, you must love discipline. But then the next part of that verse says this. It is stupid to hate correction. It is stupid to hate correction. Now, it's one thing for me to call you stupid. It's one thing for somebody to be around you and call you Tador. It's a whole other thing when the Bible is calling you stupid. And the Bible is literally saying when you hate correction, when no one can correct you, when no one can instruct you, you've put yourself in the category of a fool. That's where we put ourselves. Chapter 12, verse 15 says this, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. See, sometimes the best thing you can do, even when you're being corrected or someone's instructing you on something that you think you already know, sometimes the best thing that you can do is to just be quiet and listen. Sometimes when people are correcting you, they may not always get it right. They may not have all of the facts straight. But a wise person says, what can I learn from that? What seed of truth, what grain of truth is in what they're saying that I can take from that and learn from it? Because we all have blind spots. We all have areas in our life that we think we see, but we don't see. Have you ever been riding down the road and you get ready to to turn into the next lane and all of a sudden you look and realize there was a car right there the whole time and you didn't even notice it? Why? Because it was in your blind spot. We all have blind spots. That's why we need people to instruct us, help us see what we don't see, and correct us when we're going into the wrong lane. That's the benefit of having wise people around us. The Bible is very, it's very clear about this. When we refuse to listen to instruction or correction, we're being a fool and we're being stupid. See, when you have people around you who, listen, who aren't here to control your life, I'm not talking about letting people control your life. People, you know that's their plan. That's not what I'm talking I'm talking about people who love you who may not have even wanted to have that tough conversation with you, but they loved you enough to cause you heartache and pain momentarily 
so that you didn't have heartache and pain for the rest of your life. See, when you, when you rage against wisdom, you rage against people giving you instruction and correction, you may hurt that person's feelings. They may not want to see the pain that's going to cause you in your life, but ultimately the person that you hurt the most is yourself. The Bible says we're stupid when we refuse correction. It's kind of like being in, in the movie theater watching a horror movie. And I know some, some of you have watched horror movies in your past Hopefully it's in the past. But remember watching those horror movies where you see the crowd of people, they're running in the woods, right? And you, and you see the girl stop and tie her shoes. And you're like, what are you doing? You're going to die, right? And so you're yelling at the movie screen. And she get, they get up and all of a sudden that person has the bright idea. Hey, I know what we should do while we're running from this murderer behind us. Here's what we should do. Let's go run into that abandoned house. We'll be safe there, right? And you're watching these movies and you know, oh, everybody in there is going to die. They're all going to die. Why? Because that was stupid. That was a dumb decision. That was the dumbest thing they could have done. That's what it's like to watch a person rage against wise instruction, wisdom, correction, and counsel. You are literally watching someone make decisions that's going to cause their destruction. That's what that's like. So I encourage you, if you're here, if you're a young person, listen to wisdom. Listen to adults who have been there. Please listen to adults who have been there. If you are an adult and you're not wise in certain areas of your life and you have people who are wise in those areas and they're trying to help you, they're trying to instruct you, they don't want to take over your life. They have enough going on in theirs. But listen to wisdom and instruction so it can make you better. So that it can make you better. Wisdom is available for us if we'll ask. There's people in my life that I go to for, for wisdom. When I don't know what to do financially, I ask questions. When I don't know what to do as a husband, I ask questions. When I don't know what to do as a dad, I ask questions. I ask questions from people who can give me the wisdom, guess what, that I don't have. And they may instruct me and there may be moments that they correct me. In those moments, I have the choice. Am I going to receive that or am I going to reject that? See, sometimes, you, sometimes people will, will come and, and they think if you have that posture to receive instruction and correction, well, Pastor, you must love instruction. You must love when people correct you. Are you kidding me? I do not like being corrected. I don't know anybody who loves being rebuked. I don't know anybody who loves having someone tell them you were wrong. It's not a matter of whether or not you like that. It's a matter of whether or not you're willing to receive it or refuse it. See, when you receive it, it, it brings about the fruit that you want later on in life, even when it doesn't feel good right now. But when you refuse that wisdom, you may have what you want right now, but you're not going to have what you want long term. See, this is what, what the psalmist says in Psalms 145, verse 5. It says this. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. Listen to that. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. But I pray constantly against the wicked and their deeds. The psalmist here is saying, when you correct me, when you rebuke me, when you speak truth to me that I need to hear, you are doing a service to me. It is a kindness to me. Now, does it feel that way all the time? Of course not. 
But if you are willing to learn from it, it will be a kindness to you. The next principle that I want to share with you out of the book of Proverbs is this, number three. Don't wink at sin. Don't wink at sin. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 10 says this. People who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. In other words, someone who sees something wrong, sees you doing something wrong, that winks at it as if that's fun, as if that's cute, as if that's the right thing to do, they're not helping you. But a bold reproof promotes peace. When someone is willing to speak the truth to you in love, you bring about peace in a relationship. And I've talked about this many times before. There's a distinct difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. A peacekeeper is a person who is willing to go along with, with the wrongdoings of other people. Why? Because if they speak the truth to you or they call that thing out, that may cause conflict, that may cause tension, and sometimes that's uncomfortable and we don't like being uh, uncomfortable, so I'd rather just let you continue to do it so that I can keep the peace. But a peacemaker is someone who realizes I have to engage that, I have to tell you the thing that you may not want to hear in order for us to have real peace in this relationship, in order for us to have real peace, for you to have peace in your soul. So one thing that I've come to know is even in the disciplining of my children, when a child is doing something wrong, they often don't have peace in their soul. Why? Because they know they're doing something wrong. They know that something is out of line, something is out of order, and it causes this unrest in their souls. But the moment you step in and you actually discipline them, it is uncomfortable. They don't like it. It's friction. It's conflict. But the moment that that discipline is over, what happens in, that li- in the, ch- the life of that child? They have peace. They have rest. They sleep well at night. Why? Because real peace has been brought. Maybe you're in a relationship with somebody right now and you are watching them make bad decision after bad decision. Don't wink at that sin. Don't go along with that sin. Because here's the thing, when it comes to matters of sin, not everything, sometimes wisdom says, be quiet. Sometimes wisdom says, don't say that. Sometimes wisdom says, now is not the right time to say that. But when it comes to matters of sin, when you're watching someone getting ready to make a horrible decision with their life, hear me, please hear me. Silence is agreement. Silence is agreement. When you refuse to say anything, that person will almost always automatically assume that you are agreeing with their saying. Why? Because you have not corrected. You've not instructed. You've not gone against the grain to give them a different perspective. The Bible says, Jesus says, on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So that was the third point. Number four, and this is my last point, but I'm going to take my time with this one. Number four, steward finances wisely. Steward finances wisely. This is very practical, and I know this is all up in your business, but I'm, remember this. My name is Pastor Gabe, and I'm your friend. I'm here to help. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16 says this, the earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. Now, before I unpack this, 
there's a bigger picture at work here with this scripture and what it's saying. This scripture is really talking about the blessings that come from being a godly person and God blessing the finances that you have and, and enhancing your life versus being evil, being wicked, spending your money on vanity, spending your money on evil, wicked things, spending, and just squandering your money away along with the influence and significance of your life. Okay, there's a much bigger work, a much, much bigger picture at work here than just what I'm getting ready to hone into, but it is vitally important for the life of a believer. I've got a question for you, and it's very practical. Does your money enhance your life, or do you squander it? Does your money enhance your life, or do you squander it? Do you work hard only to squander the money that you make away? Because listen, let me, let me tell you this. Let me, get real, let me get real micro for a minute. Not macro, micro with you for a moment. If you don't have a budget, if you don't know where your dollars are going, more than likely you are squandering your dollars. Why? Because you don't know where they're going. And like I said last week, you may not know where your money is going, but Burger King does. You may not know where your money is going, but Walmart does. Amazon does. They know where all our money's going. We don't. Why? Because we haven't named our dollars. We, we, we don't have a budget. We don't have a plan. So therefore, our money just is going and coming, and we don't know. We, one, one paycheck, we have enough. The next paycheck, we don't have enough, and we don't know why. See, let me teach you what wise people do financially. With wise financial stewards, there's a pattern in which they, they utilize their money. The first thing that they do with their money is they give. Wise, godly financial stewards recognize that God takes first place in their finances. When I get paid, the first thing that I do, I put my money, I've set it up so that my tithe is the first thing that comes out of my check. Why? Because I want to put God first. I want to honor God with the first fruits of my labor. I want to put him first in my finances. Wise financial stewards, what they do first is they give. They give to God. They honor God. That's the first thing that they do. But the second thing that they do is they save. They give to God and then they give to themselves. They save. They put money aside when they get paid. That is financial wisdom. That is planning, and I'm going to get to that more in a moment. The third thing that they do is they pay. They pay their bills, and I talked about this last week, but a part of having integrity is paying your bills. Part of keeping your witness intact is paying your bills, and let's take it a step further. Don't just pay your bills. Pay your bills on time. As a Christian, as a believer, let your integrity shine. Let, let the righteousness inside of you shine by saying, I made it in agreement with you that I was going to pay you by this time. So because my word is on the line, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do and pay you the money that I owe you at this time. That's what they do. They give, they save, they pay, and then number four, they play. Number four, they play. This is what happens in the life of a person who's not stewarding their finances wisely. They play first and then everything else comes into play. 
They play with their money first. They go what they want. They buy what they want. They buy the latest toy, the latest gadget. They squander their money away. And then they wonder why they don't have enough money to pay their bills. Then they wonder why they don't have any money in their savings account. Why? Because this was out of order. And in wise financial stewards, first, they give. Second, they save. Third, they pay. And then they play. God's not against you having stuff. But God is against stuff having you. And it's very important for you to know the difference. God is not against you having stuff, but he is against stuff having you. And sometimes we spend money frivolously because we want to appear like we have money. Let me get real practical. If your cost, the cost of your car is greater than the cost of your house or your house note, you've made a foolish decision. And I know that may, that may hurt to hear that, but it's the truth and it's love. If your car costs more than your house, you've made a bad decision. If your monthly note is greater on your car than it is on your house, you've made a foolish decision. How about the next one? If you have more money wrapped up in your clothing than you do in your savings account, you've made some foolish decisions. I know that's very, very practical. But listen to this. And you know this to be true, and this is not the first time that you've heard this said. Sometimes we spend money that we don't really have to impress people that we don't really like. But we do it all for the appearance, to look like we have it together. How many of you remember that, that commercial years ago when there's a guy and he's out on his, he's in his front lawn and he's riding on his riding lawnmower and he's talking about the things that he has and he looks at the camera after talking about all the things that he's accumulated and he looks at the camera and he says, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. And you can just see the utter depression in that man's soul. Because he spent all of his money and his, his resources trying to keep up with the Joneses to appear like something that he was not really. The Bible addresses this. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 9, it says this. Better to be an ordinary person with a servant than to be self-important but have no food. Better to be an ordinary person with a servant than to be self-important but have no food. See, the first person is the person, they don't look flashy. They don't have the latest, greatest anything. But they have enough means to not only provide for themselves, but to provide for someone else to help them do what they need to accomplish. Versus the other person who wants everybody to be impressed with them and what they drive and the type of clothes that they wear. But behind closed doors, they, they, they don't have anything in a savings account. Their life is an absolute wreck financially and they are deathly afraid of what's gonna come tomorrow. Why? Because they have not planned for the future. But boy, do they look good. And everybody seemingly is impressed when really if they knew the truth, no one would really be impressed. Again, God's not against you having stuff, but God is against stuff having you. And sometimes the stuff that you have will be the very thing that keeps you in bondage. And I realize at the time, that the day and time in which we live in, there's a lot of fears going on in, in our culture and in our society. There's a lot of fears about what's going to happen with the economy, what's going to happen with the stock market, Pastor Gabe. I don't know what's going to happen. And, and what about this? And some of us are so deathly afraid of those things. And things will go wrong. That's not a prophecy about the future of our, our nation or our economy, but that's just called life. 
You will have a tire blew out eventually. You will have a car that needs to be fixed eventually. You will have a child who needs to have braces. Dear Lord, you are going to have a child who probably needs to have braces. Right? All of these things can happen. But the wise person plans for these things. The wise person saves and prepares for these things. So I want to give you just some some very practical steps. What do I do? If you say, Pastor Gabe, I'm hearing this, maybe even for the first time. Can I be honest with you? I wasn't raised learning these things. I was not raised hearing this thing. Nobody taught me this is how you steward finances. Give to God first and then save and then pay your bills on time. I was not taught these things for many, many years of my life. And then I started getting them in bits and pieces over time and started putting them together and then hearing wisdom from other godly men who would teach me these things. I didn't know them. And I know that some of you are in the same place. You may be 40 years old or 50 years old or 60 years old and you're hearing this and you think, I've never learned this. This is called wisdom. This is chukmah. This is what God wants to add to your life to help you live Well, here's just some very practical things. If you aren't living wisely financially, what do you do? Number one, I encourage you, get a Dave Ramsey book. I love Dave Ramsey. Get a Dave Ramsey book. He gives some baby steps in how to get out of debt and how to, how to, to make wise decisions financially. Sometimes we don't, have, we don't even have a picture. I don't even know where to start. Start with someone who knows what to do. Which brings me to the second point. We have incredibly godly men in our church who are wise with their finances and can give you financial wisdom to help you. Men like one of our elders, David O., who helps run a bank. He's wise financially. Men like Marcus Harris, who's helped countless men and women in our church with their finances and getting, learning how to pay their bills. And that's the thing. Listen, number three, let me just, let me get to this one. The next, the next just point of wisdom, how, how to, if you aren't making wise financial decisions, something that you can do, sit down with someone and make a budget. Make a budget. And I know for some of y'all, that's a curse word, but it's what you need to help you have a plan, a plan to get started. And once you start doing that, you're going to find, wait, I had more money, more money than I thought I had. Or you may go, oh, you may see, excuse me, I have less money than I thought that I had. Therefore, I need to make some changes and let them help you develop a plan with the dollars that you have. Next thing is this, and this is a big one. Start saving for the future. Start saving for the future right where you're at. And I know some of you, I can just, he- I can hear you right now. I, I, Pastor, I don't have enough money. How can I save money? I, I don't know how, how to do that. I, I mean, I, I don't have enough. I'm barely making it. Listen, you have more than you think. And start where you're at. I'm not saying you have to start saving $50,000 a month. Most of you don't have that. If you do, come talk to me after service because there's some projects that I'd like to help with. But mo- here's the thing. Start where you're at. If it's $20 a month, get in the habit of putting something aside. And you may need to start with a very small goal. For some of you, it's a small goal. For others, it seems insurmountable. But start with a goal. Hey, I'm going to start by saving $1,000. If you're a young person in this and and listening to this, $1,000 for you sounds like, man, that's might as well be a million. 
But start with that goal. Put money aside until you have $1,000 in your account. Why? So that when something happens, something goes wrong, you're not, you're not panicking. You have something set aside for an emergency, right? And then from there, some of you need to bump that goal up from $1,000 to get to the place where maybe you have three to six months of your, of your income in savings so that if anything happens, you have money set aside to be able to help you. If you lose your job, and we live in the, a place where in the oil field where that, that we've had a number of those types of downturns where people have lost their jobs and been wondering, well, I don't know what to do. What, what do I go from here? Have money set aside. That's called wisdom. This is what Proverbs says, chapter 27, verse 12. It says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. I'm going to say that again. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. See, this is not about your intentions. This is about your destination. I heard Andy Stanley say this years ago, and it never left me. He said, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. I'm going to say that again. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. What does that mean? Simply put, let me give you an example of it. If you were packing your bags to go to Disney World, and you got in your car, you, you, got, you bought your tickets online, you got those silly little bracelets that you can cut the line early, your fast passes, you booked the hotel, you know your favorite spot, you've gone on Yelp, this is what I want to eat, okay, I want to eat here, can't wait to try that. And you, you, do, you get in the car, your luggage is packed, you're sitting there with your family, and you are, I mean, you are praying for God's grace, God's mercy and protection as you get ready to go to Disney World, and you get on I-10 headed towards Arizona. How many of you know it does not matter what your intention was, you're not getting to Disney World. Why? Because you're not going in the direction to get to Disney World. The best intentions in the world will not change the direction that you are going. If you, are, if you want to be prepared financially for things that come up and things that happen and what if this happens and what if my child needs this and what about this happens in the economy, prepare for it. Wisdom says prepare for it. Start right where you're at. Don't feel the pressure to do what you can't do. Do what you can do. Start with a goal of $1,000 and then move. I want to have three months to six months in savings to prepare. Next step, work towards paying off your debt. Work towards paying off your debt. I don't care what anyone says. When you put yourself in a position to be in debt to someone else or some other entity, you belong to them. They have a, they have a place that you can't simply get rid of. Why? Because you owe them. And the Bible speaks to this. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, it says this, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. That is not a good place to be. And I know many of you, even as you listen to this, you're, you wake up in the morning heavy with the feeling of how much money that, that you owe. You feel like you're just under it. Like you can never get out of Some of you owe thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and it feels like it will never end. I want to encourage you to develop a plan. Don't get discouraged. There's hope. 
develop a plan. Let other people with financial wisdom help you develop that plan to start knocking your debt off so you can get to the place where you say, I'm completely debt free. I don't owe anyone anything. And as a respectable dad and, and irresponsible dad, I understand all of those things, but the goal would be to, to be completely debt free. And from there, you have the ability to be generous, to be a blessing. So, listen, you can be generous right where you're at, even if you're in debt. But there's a freedom that comes with your generosity whenever you're, you're not worried. I have to pay this car note. I have to pay this mortgage. I have to pay this student loan. Okay, I got this credit card debt. I have, I, I've made so many bad decisions, so I'm just paying the consequences. Now my kids are going to pay the consequences. Listen, make wise decisions right where you're at right now to get out of that. And let other people help you. And let me just tell you, there is hope. There is hope for you. Last two things. Don't buy things that you can't afford. That's very simple. That's very straightforward. But don't buy things you can't afford. Don't buy a car when you know you can't pay the car note. And don't, pay, don't buy a car and have the car note that's so large that they have no wiggle room that if anything goes wrong, you can't pay for it. Why? Because you're paying for that car note. Don't buy purses and things that, are, that look really expensive when you can't pay your bills. I see one of the things that we, we used to do here at the church when people would come and they would say, Pastor, I need help with finances. We had a team of people um, who would help them budget, help them learn how to take care of their finances. And, and one of the questions that, that our team people would ask our, our elders, some of our elders, James and Candy Bertrand, would sit down and they would ask this question. People would come in and say, hey, I need, I need to pay my water bill tomorrow. I need to pay my light bill tomorrow, which, by the way, we can't do. We're not set up for it. We're not able to just take care of it right then and there. There's typically a process that we have to go through, typically. Okay, but James and Candy would sit down with them. And one of the questions they would ask them, is, do you have cable? You may be saying, Pastor Gabe, what does that have to do with anything? Do you have cable? Well, I mean, yeah. So let me get this straight. You have, you, you have this $150 bill that you can't afford to pay, but you're paying $50 to $60 to $70 a month for entertainment. Why? That's, that's an unwise decision. That's expecting someone else to help me with something when I have the ability to help myself. I have the ability to make a wise decision. And I'm not saying that to condemn anyone. Please don't hear that. What I'm saying, I'm trying to get you to open up your eyes and see, wait a minute. I need to start making some wise decisions with my life. There's some things that I can change now to help set me up to get to Disney World and not to get to Arizona. So don't buy things that you can't afford. And the last one, this should be a challenge to everyone hearing this. Leave something behind for your children. Leave an inheritance for your children. See, that we live in such a consumeristic culture, a consumeristic society that we think about what I can get, right? Get what you can and then sit on the can, right? That's, that's the mindset that we have. I got to get mine. I got to get mine. I got to get, yeah, I, that's new. I'll take that. That's new. I'll take that. I want that. That looks pretty. That looks shiny. But in the Bible time, biblical times, they understood, I want to leave a blessing to my children. I want to have generational wealth to, to bless my kids. I'm not talking, this is not, 
This is as far away from get rich quick schemes or, you know, come to church so you can be rich. I'm not talking about any of that. This is not prosperity gospel. This is simple wisdom. God wants us to live well, not only in all of these other areas of our lives spiritually, but he wants us to live well financially, wisely. I'm talking about living well with godly wisdom. And part of that wisdom, even in biblical times, was to set your kids up for success. To set their kids up for success. Well, Pastor, you're going to have to prove that. I'm so glad that you asked. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says this. It says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. The good person leaves an inheritance to who? His grandchildren. Meaning not only has he left money and wealth to his kids, but he's left that to his kids' kids to be a blessing to them. And listen, some of you that even as you hear this, you may be thinking, okay, I, man, Pastor Gabe, I'm 60 years old. It's too late for me. I've, I can't believe I've blown it. I feel bad. I'm, listen, there's hope. I'm not telling you that you've, you've blown it, all hope is gone. What I'm saying is start where you're at, wherever you're at. Start where you are at. If you're a young family and you have young kids, start, open up that account for your kids. Put a little bit of money here and there towards so you can help set them up later on for their future to be a blessing to them. And sooner or later, you'll get to the place where you're able to be a blessing to their kids. A good man, a godly man, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, to his grandchildren. Now, everything that I've just talked about, I want you to see something from the financial stewardship and being wise with it and not squandering it, right, to not winking at sin, right, to to receiving instruction and correction, to understanding the seasons and the patterns that you're in, when it's time to work hard, when it's time to rest, all of those things, if we were being honest, we'd say, Pastor, those are, those are really simple, but they're really hard, and I don't know how to do it. That is wisdom. Wisdom is simple, but it's not always easy. You have to be willing to humble yourself and say, okay, God, I need your help. Other people around you, I need your help. I want to do not only the right thing, I want to do the wise thing. If you ask God for wisdom, like we talked about last week, he will give it to you. Some of you, the reason you're hearing this is because you asked God for help. God, help me with my finances. God, help me with this situation that I'm in. And he's answering that by saying, here is wisdom. It's simple, it's clear, but it's going to be difficult. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for this challenge, God, of wisdom. You're offering it to us and you want us to have it but you call us to respond to it. You don't just inject it in us. You haven't just inoculated us with this wisdom, God. You've called, you've given us the opportunity. Like Proverbs says, wisdom is crying out in the streets. I pray, God, that you would give your people the humility and the ears to hear, to to answer the beck and call of wisdom, to say, I want that. I will listen to that. I will follow that. I thank you, Lord, that you want us to not only live holy lives, but I believe you want us to live well. Help your people live well, full of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.